What's the time? Uh, you have till Okay. Wonderful. Okay. Thank you. Well, good morning for those I haven't uh, been able to get around to and, uh, and greet so far. Good to, good to be here. I am, uh, I'm just having a great time. Uh, hello. Hi. It, it, uh, it, uh, I'm just, uh, it's, a, it's a reunion for me in a lot of ways, and I'm meeting some, a lot of new friends, and, uh, and I'm just glad to, to be able to share this weekend with you. Today, in for the Bible class time, we're going to talk about the God who knows more. Now, we've, we've been talking about the God of more uh, all through this. And, uh, uh, and if, it's a perfect place for us to start the new year. As we talk about the God who knows more, I want to start just a little bit to the side. And I want to talk about just the epidemic... Let me see, make sure I get all my technology working. I want to talk about the epidemic of fear. I was, um, I was hearing more and more uh, a few years ago about just, just the, the, the explosion of fear that's around us. And I think in the last two years, it's gotten worse. And it's something that for college students today, you ask them what the greatest challenge in their life is, fear is pretty much number one. And I remember uh, going into my Bible class I was teaching, had about 50 students there, and I said, okay, after chapel that day, something had been said about fear, and I said, okay, we're gonna, I wanna, I wanna find out what people are afraid of. And so we just filled up a whiteboard with things that people were afraid of. And then I said, okay, now everybody gets three votes. And so we, we voted. And then we narrowed it down and everybody got one vote. What is it that people fear the most? And it wasn't even close. That for these college students, the number one fear was the fear of failure. And when they talked about failure, they weren't talking about failing the next test. They weren't talking about failing the class though that sort of goes in with all of that stuff. But just failure in general, and failure as a person, and failure because so many of these students have uh, had very close connection to divorce, fear of failing in a marriage, and they don't even have a girlfriend yet, uh, but the fear that is there for, for that. We live in an epidemic of fear, it's there. And so to get to the topic that we're talking about today, the God who knows more, I want to start with where kind of we are as uh, in our place and in time. And so uh, I spoke on the subject of fear at the college church back in Searcy, Arkansas, <clears throat> when I was working at Harding. I preached for the college church for 14 years. And then in 2005, I walked across the street. I mean, no more than across the street to the Harding campus. I walked across the street working with the same people on a different planet. Uh, it was the planet of higher education. And so I walked across the street. And, uh, but in my time that since I'd been gone before I, I preached that Sunday on the subject of fear, 
uh, in, after I left, the, uh, the church got a new flashing, not a flashing, but a new lighted sign with a message and everything that's out on the busiest street in Searcy, Arkansas. And so the preacher called me and said, you know, what are you preaching on? And I told him what it was, and uh, he was leaving town, and I didn't think any more about it. I was busy, so I didn't even give a lot of thought to the, the title. And the, uh, so that Sunday I preach, and... Uh, Somebody noticed the sign on the way out of the parking lot that morning. But all week long, <laughs> all week long, people going up and down Ray Street had been told, do not fear Bruce McLarty. So I figured that people thought that, you know, I had been the head of a prison gang or something like that, you know and reformed and I was going to be speaking, so do, do not fear Bruce McLarty. So I, I wanted to begin the day today with, uh, with this admonition for all of you. Um, fear. A guy by the name of Tim Russert. Uh, some of you will remember him, uh, especially if you've got a, a few years on you. But in the 2000 election uh, that was so contested and the hanging chads and we didn't know for weeks who the next president of the United States was and all, Tim Russert is the one who very famously held up a whiteboard and wrote, Florida, Florida, Florida. It all comes down to Florida. And he was absolutely right. Tim Russert, <clears throat> at the age of 58, died suddenly of a heart attack. The very next year, on Father's Day, his son, pictured there with him, Luke Russert, wrote, a, wrote an article for Parade Magazine simply called My Dad. I have a sister-in-law in Ohio who, who read the thing and she said, this sounds like something Bruce would use. And I hadn't seen it. She sent it to me and she was exactly right. Because there's a great story in this about Luke Russert when he was in college. <clears throat> and he was, he was going to college in Boston he had flown down to Washington, D.C. to be with his family for the weekend. The weekend was over, and he was about to fly back. It was kind of cloudy and stormy outside, and he was headed back to, uh, headed back to Boston. On the way to the airport, as Luke Russert, Tim Russert is driving his son Luke, on the way back to the airport, Luke realized he was being snippy with his dad. His, his answers were clipped. And there was obviously an attitude, but you didn't know really what was going on. And about the time he pulls up in front of the airport to drop his son off, Luke Russert just burst out and said, Okay, I'm afraid to fly. Tim thought, I had no idea. And it turns out that, that a couple of years earlier he had been on one of those flights uh, if you've ever been on one where you feel like you're on a roller coaster, where you're coming in and the bottom kind of drops out, and you're safe as you can be, but you don't feel it at all. And so it was one of those, and because of that, Luke Russert had developed a phobia of flying. And this was a stormy day, and he was, he was scared, so, okay, I'm afraid to fly. Tim Russert, he said his dad, instead of dropping him off, he turns into the parking lot, parks the car, gets out, goes in with him. Tim Russert cashes in some of his sky miles to buy a ticket for a flight that he will never take. But he had to have a ticket in order to get past TSA. So he gets a ticket and he goes with his son and they walk, they go through TSA and they walk to the gate and the whole time Tim Russert is just, you know, saying the reassuring things that you would. 
about how the most dangerous part of this trip was the drive to the airport and uh, how that, you know, the pilots aren't going to take any chances. They're on that plane too. And that, you know, they're, this is designed for, you know, you're going to be okay. He gets to the gate. They're boarding the plane. He tells his son, he said, you're going to be just fine. Call me when you get there. Love you. Goodbye. Well, he gets on, the, gets on the plane, has a great flight, and goes on to Boston. But he, he remembered that after his father's death. And that, that moment was sort, of, was sort of what the relationship was all about. And the idea of his dad being with him had meant all the world to him. And I think that's something, that's language that we hear from God. When I, when I read that, that article, I thought, I thought I, I've seen this before. I, I've heard this before as God tells his people, don't be afraid, for I am with you. And that is the, that's the, the key to this whole thing. Well, there is a, in the idea of fear, you may have already sort of jumped ahead of me and thought, well, you know, sometimes we use fear in a real positive way in church. You know, to fear God and keep his commandments, that's the whole duty of man or the entirety of what it means to be a person, to fear God, keep his commandments. There is good fear in Scripture, and Israel is called upon to fear God. We are called upon to fear in the sense of to reverence God, to see God as God really is, and for us to, to, to acknowledge and to recognize that we are in the presence not of a buddy, but we are in the presence of the Almighty, and fear, a good kind of fear, not a terrible fear of he's going to do me wrong, but a, 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 a trembling kind of fear that I'm in the presence of one that we learn loves us desperately. So there is good fear and there is bad fear in the in the scripture. I want us today to look at this, this bad fear and the way God addresses it. There are three times in the book of Acts where the Apostle Paul is told by God, don't be afraid. Now before we get to the specifics of what this, you know, of the text is saying itself and all, just, just think for a moment. Okay, the Apostle Paul is being told, don't be afraid. Now, when you and I know fear, oftentimes we go to the writings of the Apostle Paul because he's the one who teaches us, don't be afraid. So if in the story of his experience in the book of Acts, I hear, I see that God sort of sets uh, Paul down and says, don't be afraid, does that help us at all? Does that encourage us at all? It does me. I mean, if Paul needs to hear this, I don't feel like such a wimp. If Paul needs to hear this, we all need to hear this. And there are different situations, different settings and all that we're going to encounter as we go through this. But just first of all, let's, let's take some encouragement and, and some comfort from the fact that Paul needed to hear this. The first time of those three is in Acts chapter 18. 
So Paul goes to Corinth here on the uh, second missionary journey. He leaves Athens. He goes to Corinth. Uh, he meets Aquila and Priscilla. He uh, works in, in tent making. Verse 5, Silas and Timothy arrive from Macedonia, which is northern Greece. <clears throat> and then Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. Verse 6, when they opposed and reviled him, he shook off his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on I will go to the Gentiles. And he left there and went to the house of a man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. His house was the next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. Verse 9. Here we go. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking, and do not be silent, for I am with you. There are those words that are so important and precious. God says, sort of like Tim Russert was with his son Luke, you know, I walking to the, to the gate to get on a plane. The Lord says to Paul, I am with you. And that's what makes all the difference in the world. And no one will attack you or harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. Now, why is, why is Paul afraid? And why does the Lord speak to him at this particular point in time? I want to propose something. And you don't, you don't have to buy it, but I think it fits this text. What is the fear? Now, we're on the second missionary journey. So at the end of the first missionary journey and after the Jerusalem conference, Paul and, and Barnabas are going to go back and visit the churches where they, that they planted on the first missionary journey. Paul and Barnabas have this division about John Mark, and so they, they form two mission teams. And, and so uh, Paul and Silas then head out. And so they go and they, they do what Paul had envisioned doing, going back and, and visiting those churches they planted. Like Paul is this great visionary. Nobody has a greater vision than Paul. But Paul's vision was about that big, and God's vision is about that big. So there are only just a few verses devoted to going back and visiting those churches. And so after, uh, after that's, that's happened, then, then Paul is, is moving uh, in a relentlessly western direction. And he tries to go up to the north, and the Spirit of the Lord keeps him from doing that. He tries to go to the south, and he's kept from doing that too. I wonder how the Lord did this. I really don't know. I don't know if it was communicating with Paul. I don't know if it was uh, border guards. I don't know if it was wars. I don't, know, I don't know what it might have been. But for some reason, Paul couldn't go this way, couldn't go that way, couldn't go where he wanted to go. And it's almost like Paul is in this divine cattle chute. And so he is being pushed in the direction up here, and he ends up at Troas. And you know Troas, where Paul receives the Macedonian call. And in a vision, man of Macedonia, which means northern Greece, a man of Macedonia says, come over and help us. And so they determined that the Lord wanted them to go to Macedonia. Who knew? Now what's remarkable for you and me today is this is the point at which 
the gospel, at least the missionary travels of Paul, jump from Asia to Europe. So this is a big thing, a big thing. So Paul goes to, he goes to Macedonia, first place there, he's in Philippi. Goes down and he plants a church, meets those ladies down at the, at the river at the place of prayer, plants a church. He then uh, is attacked by the crowd, <clears throat> he's thrown in prison, and the Philippian jail and the Philippian jailer, we know all about that. And so the Apostle Paul is released from there, and he leaves Philippi. Goes to Thessalonica, and there he begins preaching again. Plants the church, meets opposition, gets run out of town. He goes to Berea, small out-of-the-way place, and the, the Bereans are more noble than those in Thessalonica because they studied the word every day to see if what Paul said was true. And so there are a lot of ch little churches today that are named the Berea Church of Christ because of, of that thing about the Bereans. Well, there are some troublemakers from Thessalonica who come to Berea, stir up trouble. Paul's planted a church and he leaves town. He goes down to Athens. And there in Athens, his spirit is stirred and he's, uh, he's talking with people out in the streets and he's brought before the council, the Areopagus, uh, of, of the city of Athens. And there Paul preaches the great sermon on Mars Hill. Uh, and it is an incredible sermon, an incredibly important sermon, not because it was really successful, because it wasn't much, but it's incredible because Paul goes and stands in the philosophical center of the world, a place where they scoffed at the idea of the bodily resurrection. They believed in the immortality of the soul. They didn't believe in a bodily resurrection. And he stands there knowing they're going to laugh at him if he says resurrection. And he says resurrection. And they scoff at him because of what he said. But the Apostle Paul stands in front of the great, greatest philosophers of his day, and he does not flinch. That's why that sermon is so incredibly important and inspiring to us, even down to this day. But Paul meets some success, but he kind of is laughed out of Athens, and he goes to Corinth. So he gets to Corinth, and he plants the church there. And he works in the synagogue with, with the people there, and then they, they start causing trouble, and they kick him out. And that's when our text comes. Here's what I think is going on with the Apostle Paul. I think Paul, very much like you and me, needs to know that the past does not determine the future. The past does not determine the future. Has anybody in here ever heard from your own lips or the voice in your own brain, have you ever heard yourself say, here we go again? Anybody ever said that? Hey, I'm guilty as I can be. Here we go again. Maybe I have failed at something before and I see something that reminds me of those past experiences and I say, here we go again. 
I failed before. I'm going to fail again. Or maybe somebody hurt me. I felt betrayed by somebody. And it was a, I mean, there is, there's just a, it's just an incredible pain. And we meet somebody else, and maybe some word or, or some place or some tone triggers us, and in our minds we say, here we go again. Somebody betrayed me or somebody hurt me in the past. I'll bet this person or this church or these people are going to, are going to betray me or they're going to hurt me. And so we recoil from that. Do you get the idea, the picture? I mean, here we go again is one of the most self-defeating things that can be going on in our brains. I'm going to fail again. These people are going to hurt me again. Here we go again. I, th I wonder if Paul's not right there. It's like, they kicked me out of Philippi. They kicked me out of Thessalonica. They kicked me out of Berea. They laughed me out of Athens. I meet some opposition and get kicked out of the synagogue in, in Corinth. Here we go again. And I wonder if Paul's not just about ready to close up his suitcase and let's head on down the road. And the Lord speaks to him in the vision and says to him, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking. Do not be silent, for I am with you. And no one will attack you or harm you, for I have many people in this city. And he stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. This is the first time that the Apostle Paul settles down into something that we might describe as local work. Staying with a congregation in a city and helping to, to, to take these people to the next level and helping them to mature. When he had been at Thessalonica, and had to leave, and he writes back the letters of First and Second Thessalonians. There were so many things. You go back and you read First and Second Thessalonians, and you realize this is a preacher who got yanked away from these people before he got them ready, and it's heavy on his heart. And I have read uh, the passage from First Thessalonians four so many times at a graveside because the Apostle Paul was writing back to the Thessalonian church saying, I didn't even get to walk you through a Christian death. I, I didn't get to teach you some of the most basic of things. And so he, he writes this, and at the end of it he says, So therefore encourage one another with these words. And to this day I use that so often, encouraging one another with these words, from the pen of an apostle who didn't get the chance to really settle in with the Thessalonians and to lead them on to maturity. So Paul says to him in Corinth, okay, I got a job for you. He didn't know at the time, but you're gonna be here 18 months. You feel on the verge of being run out of town. You feel like you're about to leave this place. But I want you to settle in. I got a job for you and I am with you. Anybody here need to hear that today? I need to hear that about every 48 hours. The past does not determine the present and the future. That's a huge message. And the Apostle Paul needed to hear that. 
So again, I don't feel like quite the wimp when I think, okay, just because I need to hear that, Paul needed to hear that too. We go on the second time that this, this thing comes up is in Acts chapter 23. Paul has finished his three missionary journeys at this point. Paul has come back to Jerusalem. <coughs> During this time, he has, <coughs> excuse me, Y'all can't see it up here, but I've got enough water to float a boat up here. So, it... so the Apostle Paul's finished his three missionary journeys. He comes back, and he has written in the meantime um, about his, his love for his people Israel. Now, something we, we I think, uh, underemphasize Paul was the apostle to the Gentiles. He was a Jew. Uh, he was a devout Jew. He was uh, someone who had incredible credentials as a Jew, but he became the apostle to the Gentile. But Paul never ceased being a Jew. He was a Jewish Christian, and he never ceased loving his Jewish brothers. <clears throat> and so the apostle Paul comes back to Jerusalem and he's involved in a riot. And the people there don't know what's going on with him, and they try to tear him apart. And it all leads to Paul, after all of his missionary travels, Paul is taken before the Jewish Sanhedrin. So, so he is before Congress. He is in front of the shakers and movers of Jerusalem. He is in front of the keepers of the faith. And he stands there and he speaks to them. And again, the people try to tear him apart. <clears throat> the Roman commanders, they just want peace. They don't care a thing about what Paul is saying or what the, the Jewish Sanhedrin is saying. That's really not where their heart is. <clears throat> they just want peace. That's what they're getting paid for. That's what they're under orders to do. And so these Jews are about to have a riot again. And so the Apostle Paul, uh, verse 10, <clears throat> when the dissension became violent, the tribune, afraid that Paul would be torn to pieces by them, commanded the soldiers <clears throat> to go down and take him away from them by force and to bring him into the barracks. Verse 11, this is our second one here. Verse 11, the following night the Lord stood by him and said, Take courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. Once again, the great Apostle Paul, who has just stood up to the Sanhedrin and has said what he needed to say, and he almost got torn apart because of it, the Lord stands by him and says, take courage. By the way, when do we tell people, take courage? When do we tell people, don't be afraid? Is it when they're bold? It's when they're afraid. <clears throat> Had a friend in, uh, in school, when I was in school in Ashland, uh, there was a retired Navy chaplain who was one of my professors. And he, he told one day, after class was over, we hung around and listened to the man for like an hour and a half just telling us stories of his days as a Navy chaplain. 
and he talked about, uh, you know, one of the questions that was asked him is, when did you, <clears throat> when did you go and, and go through the stuff with the guys? <clears throat> when would you go and, you know, whether it's jumping out of a plane or, or whatever, when, when would you do that? And he said, a good chaplain does that when you see fear in their eyes. So he was with these people, loved by these folks, you know, did the chaplain sort of stuff. But when he saw these guys with fear in their eyes, that's when he knew, okay, it's time for me to step up and to go through exactly what it is that they're going through in their training right now. We say, don't be afraid. We say, take courage when people need courage and when people are afraid. So the Lord speaks to Paul in the barracks that night. Now, once again, it makes sense to me that this is a different kind of fear. It's fear for a different reason for Paul than it was the first time. First time it was fear that the past is going to be repeated in the future. The past determines the future. That if, if I got hurt before, if I got run out of town before, it's gonna happen again. And the Lord says, no, let's break this cycle. I'm with you, and I want you to stay in this city. And he settled in for 18 months. Here, I think, it's fear of failure, the fear that your life's work means nothing. Now, I'm going to tell your secret here this morning. And your secret is, you have felt that way. I have felt that way. Everyone has felt that way. That we get to points in life where we wonder if it has made a difference at all that I have been on this planet. If I have been able, whether it is uh, raising my children, or it is preaching for a church, or it is teaching a class at school, or it's holding down a job for 40 years. Everybody knows those times where we've met resistance or we've seen failure or we've, we're dealing with disappointment and we wonder, has it mattered at all? I think that's what's going on with the Apostle Paul right here. I think this man that we look back to and you know, so much of, of this weekend We've been going to Paul's letters in the sermon here in just a few moments. It's going to be from, from the letter to the Romans. Uh, you know, Paul's letters, his story, all of that is such a big part of our lives. I think Paul dealt with this just like you and I do. Because, and I think this probably was his lowest point um, at this particular point in the barracks. Turn with me to the Roman letter. There's a section in Romans that's just uh, Romans chapter 9. Chapters 9, 10, and 11 are just, they're tough, tough sledding. Um, but chapter 9 begins this way. Can you imagine this? And this is written some years before this event in uh, Acts 23. Paul says, I am speaking the truth in Christ. 
I am not lying. My conscience bears witness in the Holy Spirit. You know, how many more ways can you say, I'm telling you the truth, that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart, <clears throat> for I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. He goes on and makes, makes very clear he's talking about the Jews. And so he's, he's writing to the Romans, a Roman church that's mixed Jew and Gentile and all. But he takes this detour in, verses, in chapters 9, 10, and 11 to talk about the whole thing about why the Jews have not responded to the gospel of Christ in big numbers. And he says here, I could wish myself accursed from God for the sake of, of my kinsman Israel. That's loving somebody a whole bunch. That's being passionate about something. It's like I would give anything. I would give my eternity with God for the sake of my kinsman Israel. So time goes by and he goes back to Jerusalem and he gets to preach in front of the Sanhedrin and they try to kill him. They don't hear at all. And so he's in the barracks that night and it feels like my life has stood for nothing. It's not going to happen. I was never able to reach my kinsman Israel. The people I love so much, I could wish myself accursed. And I think that's why the Lord the second time speaks directly to Paul. The Lord stood by him and said, Take courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. He turns his, his vision to beyond this moment, and you still got work to do. But I think what he's helping him with here is this fear that life, our life's work means nothing. God is doing more in your life. He's doing more through your influence than you or I will ever see or we will ever know. And sometimes we get a little glimpse. You know, someone will say, uh, you know, you, you touched my life in a special way. Sometimes we get a little glimpse of that. But for all of us, most of the time, we're not getting that glimpse. And one of the things that can so discourage us and that Satan can so use to discourage us is, you really don't matter. You really don't matter. I want to say to everybody that's sitting here this morning, you matter. Even you're sitting here this morning matters. And you have no idea what impact even just your presence maybe having on someone's life for all of eternity. Well, let's go to the third one, third and final time that the Lord speaks directly to Paul about, <clears throat> about such things. Paul ends up spending, um, after the last text, after the thing in, in Jerusalem, he ends up going to Caesarea, and he spends two years uh, under arrest in Caesarea, over on the coast there in Israel. And then he is put on board a ship. He appeals to Caesar. <clears throat> He's put on board a ship, and they're taking him to Rome to appeal to Caesar. And along the way, he gets into this incredible storm. And for these 
14 days. They don't even know if it's day, daylight or dark. And they are in the Mediterranean. They're trying to make their way to Rome. And they are so lost. <clears throat> the text says that they were afraid they were going to shipwreck on the sandbars of Sirtis. That is North Africa. That's being bad lost in the Mediterranean. If you don't know if you're about to bump into Italy or North Africa. And so they're, 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 just, they're just at a loss. And one of the most intriguing verses to me in Acts is Acts 27 verse 20. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and no small tempest lay upon us, all hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. All hope. Who lost hope? I, I know that Luke did, the one who wrote this. I suspect that Paul did, who was with him. But all hope was lost. They had been in the storm for so long and had not seen the sun in so long and they were so lost, and they were throwing things overboard. Then in a storm like that, nobody's eating, and all hope is gone. They've been without food for a long time. Paul stood up among them and said, verse 21, Men, you should have listened to me and not set sail from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. Uh, if, you have, if you have ever said, um, if you have ever said, I told you so, Paul helps you feel a little better about that right here. He just couldn't resist it. He said, you, sh you should have done what I told you. And he said, do not be afraid. <clears throat> he said, for this very night there stood before me an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said to me, do not be afraid, Paul. Third time, this has happened in the book of Acts. Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar, and behold, God has granted you all those who will sail with you. I think, I think the, um, the point here is, this is simply a fear of death and dying. I think a fear of we're going to be lost, a fear that this is the end. I was thinking this morning as I was preparing for this, I thought, you know, it's an interesting thing putting that text next to 2 Timothy 4, where Paul says, on that occasion, I fought the good fight. I finished the course. I kept the faith. And so now he's facing death once again. But this time, it's in a, a very, very different way. And he is now turned, not toward Rome, he's turned heavenward. And he is ready for, what's, for what is coming. The trying to figure out what I, the idea that God knows more. It's a matter of perspective. How can God say to Paul, don't fear? Sounds like the cold class has been about fear and not about what the topic was. But the reason that we can hear God saying to us, don't be afraid, is he sees more than you and I do. He knows more than you and I do. He sees the bigger picture. He, 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 he is from everlasting to everlasting. And as a result, he's able to offer something uh, by way of perspective. And this morning, the message is, don't be afraid. 
God is with us, and He's the one. He knows the beginning and the end. He knows what's going on in this world in a way that we don't. And you and I can get so obsessed on the immediate and what I'm dealing with and what I'm facing and what's going on in the world that we can be terrified and God says to us, hey, I've got it all under control and I I see the big picture. You're going to be okay. So do not fear. A man by the name of Mike Reed, uh, he's in the Songwriter Hall of Fame in Nashville, Uh, was a professional football player, finished uh, fifth in the Heisman voting when he was a football player at Penn State. He went on, played for the Bengals, uh, was an all-pro, blew out a knee, and then he headed to Nashville to write music like he had always wanted to. He had a little bit of a solo career. As I said, he's in the Songwriter Hall of Fame, but he had a bit of a solo career, had one great big hit, and it's one of my favorite songs to this day. It's called Walk on Faith, and it's, it's him singing to a girl but he uses the language of in here. And he says, we've come to the place in our love where faith must be stronger than fear. For if true love is our destination, through every storm it must always be clear. The surest way to get there from here is to walk on faith. Trust in love. Keep on putting one foot down in front of the other. He says, the valley's so wide, we stumble and stride. Everything inside wants to give up, but walk on faith, trust in love. There is a, um, you've seen the the books, Chicken Soup for the Soul. Well, there was uh, one book that was about country songs, and it was, uh, what's the story behind it and all this, and one was about Mike Reed. And he told about how, he said, there, there wasn't a great story behind this song, You know, it didn't inspire this. But he said, there was a great story that came out of this song. He said one night he was in concert. He had uh, performed. And there was a a young woman with a, like a six-month-old child. Came up to see him afterward, get an autograph and all this. And she said, I've got to tell you that your song changed my life. Faith must be stronger than fear. She said... About a year and a half ago, I was in a really dark place, and I was totally alone in the world, and I had no hope. And she said, I was pregnant, I was considering an abortion, said I felt like there was just nothing bright in front of me. My life was over. She said, your song, your song meant everything. And then she said, I want you to meet my son. You can imagine how it touched Mike Reed's heart. But faith must be stronger than fear. Jesus said, don't be afraid. And in, when the birth announcement came in chapter 1, verse 23, and then as Jesus is giving the Great Commission in 28, those words that we saw at the beginning, I am with you. This morning, it all comes down to this. Fear is a fact of life. We all deal with it. And I think that the, the, the things we've seen in the Apostle Paul, we connect with and we say, I've been there, I am there, 
I know that. The whole key to it is he is with us. And God, who like Tim Russert walking Luke to the, to the gate at the airport, God is in our ear and in our heart saying, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. He sees our situation so much better than we do. He knows we have reason for confidence. He knows he has great purpose for all of us. He knows that our lives lived in Christ are making a difference. And he says, don't be afraid because I am with you. May we today sink our trust down into the God who knows more. Let's close class with a prayer. Father, today we long to hear your voice in our hearts reminding us through the scriptures we read today not to be afraid. We confess to you there are so many things that weigh on our hearts. And Lord, we, we, want, we want to be a people whose faith is stronger than our fears. Help us, Lord. Help us, Lord, to drown out the devil's lies. And help us, Lord, to live in your love and your boldness. We thank you, O oh Lord. We thank you for walking with us each step of the way. Bless us that we remember this as we walk out of this place. In Jesus, we pray. Amen.